You're listening to Nick Luck Daily. This edition is brought to you by Fitzdares, by the Racehorse Owners Association, and by Thoroughbred Racing Commentaries Global Rankings. Good morning, welcome to the show. It's Wednesday, April the 26th. It's a very dull grey day here in TW11, but nothing dull about the racing we're enjoying at the moment. The best of the flat, the best of the jumps, as we showcased yesterday. And today will be that great showdown between Galapande Shaw and Brave Man's game that we've been building up at Punchestown. Doubtless that will dominate tomorrow's episode. Yesterday there was racing on Epsom Downs, Epictetus laid a marker down as a potential derby contender will he stay we'll be asking that question later in the program and if he does go to the derby perhaps via the dante at york what time will he be racing because yesterday it was confirmed and broken initially in an article in the daily mail by matt hughes that the fa cup final this year the manchester derby would take place at three o'clock um, because that is exactly what the metropolitan police wants and that is what they are going to get for security reasons that, of course, has significant implications because the derby, our derby, the Betfred derby at Epsom is due to take place on the same afternoon and they can't both be on ITV at exactly the same time. So what to do, when to run the derby? It seems as though uh, there will be an announcement made today and my sources would appear to suggest that there is going to be a lunchtime derby this year. Not quite sure exactly what the time is, but it'll be around lunchtime. Lee Motter said, uh, Racing Post senior writer, is with me now. I don't suppose this is going to be to the satisfaction of everybody, Lee, but that appears to be what we've been left with. What do you think? I think, Nick, it will be to the satisfaction of nobody. Um, I think this will be regarded as a really bad situation and disappointing news from both the, the jockey club and ITV in the sense that neither would have wanted to be in this position. Um, I think over the weekend, um, when Manchester United won that penalty shootout against Brighton, there was an expectation that the worst case scenario, as then seemed likely, would be activated. I think both parties, the Jockey Club and ITV, were thinking that the game would kick off between 4.45 and 5.30pm, with 4.45 more likely if it was a Manchester derby, because the police would want both sets of supporters to be able to get out of Wembley and then make their way home. Certainly, I think on Sunday evening, when that game finished, I don't think anyone was predicting an old-school, old-fashioned 3pm FA Cup final kickoff that is what we have ended up with and that has left itv and the jockey club having to work out what time they can run the derby um a complicating factor is that the fa cup final is also broadcast on the bbc itv and the bbc are joint partners in the fa cup deal and itv will be well aware that last year when the two clashed for that game, the BBC's average audience was roughly four times that which ITV pulled in. And therefore, ITV will be aware that it doesn't want to send the football audience that it has from ITV to the BBC by showing horse racing. Mm -hmm. Now, various options would have been on the table as to when we can run 
well, the derby. We 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 we've run through these a little bit, haven't we? We've we've done a bit of role playing. So option a option a we thought was well why don't you run it after the cup final even better because you know you build up the anticipation you get a hangover audience from the cup final you know lots of razzmatazz on the day lots of us have called for an evening derby there's problems here lee and the problems start with the fact that surrey police won't buy it i don't think and they probably continue with press coverage and move on to horsemen probably not really buying into it and all sorts of other things yeah so traditionally um i think broadcasters have wanted to push back the the derby off time as they have done with the grand national as late as possible to try and get that tea time audience which is deemed to be the biggest possible audience for um a horse racing event the latest the derby has ever been staged was 4.55. That was during the COVID year. So the normal rules weren't in play then. But in general terms, the derby start has been pushed back to the latest start time of 4.30 p.m., which is what it's been for a decade or so now. Um, you could, in theory, go back later. The problem in terms of guaranteeing that ITV would be able to show the derby um, at a later time is complicated by the possibility of um, extra time and penalties. So normally, a 3 p.m. kickoff would finish at about 4.50, 4.55 p.m. if you think you've got time on in both halves. But then if you have to add in 50 minutes, 50 minutes of, ex of extra time uh, times two, so 30 minutes, and then a possible penalty shootout, you're moving towards... 6 p.m. Yeah, I think now, I think minimum. I reckon 6:15, 6:30, and then of course that reckons without post race, uh, post race, post match analysis, which they don't want to cut into, and also you're then encroaching on the on the early evening schedules. And with all due respect, even to the Derby, the uh, ITV controllers are not going to want horse racing on the early evening schedules. Potentially not, but 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 I think there might have been some interest in trying to take a gamble and say we'll go for six o'clock or 6.15 potentially, and then just going straight in from that into whatever the the ITV uh, Saturday night primetime schedule would be um, in June. But that's not the option they've gone with. There's also, Nick, the, the whirlpool uh, complicating factor in the sense that the later you go, you risk damaging the, the money that's being bet on the derby, um, I suppose, primarily from, from Hong Kong. That would be fair, wouldn't it? Yeah, and and I uh, when Whirlpool was launched this year, and the dates were revealed, and and the revenues were were hinted at from last year, the Derby kept being mentioned, and I was surprised because you know it wasn't a, a massive field, and you'd think there would be races that might generate more betting revenue, but the the global prestige and name of the Derby attracted you know, way more revenue to that race than any other single race. So it clearly is even more important to this than it is to, to all those other fixtures. And we've been talking about, you know, a million quid a day and, and, and numbers in excess of that potentially for, for Whirlpool. So that's got to be a, a big motivating factor as well, I would have thought. And I guess this is the safest option, Lee, isn't it? Guaranteed, it is. no interruption coverage on ITV. You're not going to get an afternoon at the races, but you are going to get a nice, nicely ring-fenced bit of derby coverage without having to worry about late kickoffs, penalty shootouts, so on and so forth. I had this sort of pipe, pipe dream you could run it in at half-time, but that's never going to work. No, I think that the, pro the problem with half-time is there is only a 15-minute window 
for ITV, again, as I say, mindful that it's probably got about a quarter to a third of the FA Cup TV audience. Does it really want to, in those 50 minutes, instead of having uh, Roy Keane dissecting the first half, going across to Epsom, knowing that that would mean a chunk of its football audience would switch over to the BBC. For the jockey club, you've also got the complicating factor that you can't guarantee a race will set off on time, particularly with three, three-year-old Colts. What happens if one spreads a plate? What happens if we get some sort of protest, Nick? We had a protest before the derby last year. Uh, we know what happened at Aintree. There has to be the possibility that something similar will be attempted. So that half-time window was extremely risky and therefore we end up with and i think the phrase you use nick safe option is probably the the right way to describe it i think this is definitely the jockey club um ending up with the the the, the slot it believes will have the least potential for for problems but there is no doubt that a lunchtime derby is a serious negative um for the race this year the earliest time the derby has taken place in, in inverted commas, the modern era, is 2.25pm. That was in 1996 because it clashed with the opening game of Euro 96, which is obviously being staged in, in Britain. So that was the earliest it had ever been staged before. This year's first race on Derby Day, the first race was scheduled to be at 2pm with the Derby run at 4.30pm. It seems highly likely that this year's Betfred Derby, the first in the new sponsorship contract, will be run before the initial first race was scheduled to take place. So if we're thinking we're going to have a derby at lunchtime, I said before 2pm in all probability, um, that has all sorts of, of mm. consequences. Do you have the derby as the first race on the card? You surely no, can't. You, you surely can't. I think can't. you have a couple of lead-up races. Start at midday and, and, and kick on from there. I think you're just going to have to... to suck it up this year I, I've, I can remember a couple of sort of similar situations lee you talked about the derby of, of uh, 1996 uh, i remember breeders cup 2003 at santa i remember being done and dusted by about three o'clock in the afternoon um i think that was because of eastern tv schedules yeah, yeah. and um a champions day 2015 you're going to remind me what the what the sporting event was but because I, I can't remember but that's kicked off at about midday right. and finished by about three o'clock and it had a massively detrimental effect on the viewing figures as well but you know that's champions day this is the derby you've got a cup final following so who knows you might you might end up with with something similar well that's right i mean th th there will i suppose there will have been a parallel discussion about do you just stage the the day as normal and run it on itv4 a few years ago when Dilly bushel was in charge at the Jockey Club, there was a big head-to-head -head between her and ITV's director of sport, Niall Sloan, over whether you write in the contract that the derby has to be shown on the main channel, what is now ITV1. And ITV's resistance to that was what if, for whatever reason, a big football game clashes with the derby? Well, that's happened this year. We've still found a way of getting the derby on the main channel, but it's clearly not ideal. The audience, I think, will be impacted, partly because as well the bbc will also already be doing its fa cup um preview programming which will hit the the derby's audience for the jockey club imagine trying to stage um or, or put on hospitality events on derby day hospitality will be a big thing at epsom on derby day the derby will be taking place at a time when most people probably wouldn't even finish their starters so that will be a complicating fact i'll have to get people in much sooner and inevitably 
you're probably going to be staging five or six races because this year's Derby card um, is an eight race card for the first time. You're probably going to be staging five or six races after the the big event, after the Lord Mayor's show. And all, clearly that will have to be on ITV for the stuff that takes place after the Derby. So nobody will pretend that this is a positive outcome outcome to what is a tricky situation it's the safest outcome um ironically as well nick it's the second consecutive uh colts classic if you like that will have been hit this year because the the 2000 guineas the kipco 2000 guineas is being run this season at 4 40 p.m so later than usual and on itv4 because itv1 the main channel will be continuing its coverage of coronation day so both the Guineas and the Derby this year impacted by events that wouldn't normally be taking place. And in the case of both the Coronation and the FA Cup final, horse racing sadly has come off worse. OK, well, Lee mentioned the, the Guineas there, the Kipco 2000 Guineas, which not only falls square on Coronation Day, and we've talked about the issues with the TV there, but is also the kickoff point for Kipco British Champion Series, which culminates in a day that I mentioned a few moments ago as well, Kipco British Champions Day. Now, in conjunction with Kipco, British Champion Series are making a significant offer to try and attract and retain younger fans of the sport. It's a great ticket offer that runs all the way through this series for those of you aged between 18 and 26 David Redvers has been playing a big part in British Champion Series since its inception and joins me now. David, um, how did this come about and what can people get and for how much? Well, for, for some time it's been really troubling us that the, that we're not doing enough as a as a sport and, and an industry to get the hooks into the, the younger audience. We're competing in a, in a, in a very congested sporting um, arena with all the other sports and we're also particularly competing with those that we've seen and heard quite a lot of recently which are the are the animal rights um, vegan brigade who believe that animals shouldn't be uh, used in sport or, or for that matter eaten and um, whilst there are some companies like invades doing an amazing job of bringing large numbers of young racing um, they're bringing them basically on the premise that it's a great party and um, an opportunity to have a drink and socialise. We felt that what we needed to do was actually roll out an offer through British Champion Series to all of the best race days of the flat season, um, therefore the 26 Kipco British Champion Series race days, whereby for a free membership to a club, um, they can... Uh, come to all of those days for a tenner per day which is a which is a, a massive discount on the ticket price but being part of that club will also further educate them because there'll be a whole load of stuff going on in the background there'll be uh, there'll be all sorts of stable tours there'll be stud tours there'll be demonstrations from jockeys there'll be all the things that we've been trying to do over the last few years through British Champion Series which has simplified the sport so they can understand it and get the hooks into them so that the future-proof the sports for many years to come i think that's excellent and, and also presumably um you you would like to extend this to to all i, I mean I, i'm i'm not being i'm not being obtuse saying this I, one of my closest friends that i work with in 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 racing tv is a is a vegan and you wouldn't find a more passionate 
lover of horse racing. So yeah, we've we've got to, we've got to spread our arms wide, haven't we? Absolutely. And and listen, being a vegan being a vegan doesn't mean you can't you can't be a passionate supporter of British racing. I think the bit that we're that, that we're seeing and, and hearing a lot more of, particularly from universities, is the fact that there are there's a there's a very, very active animal agenda being pushed forward at all the universities at the moment. Um, and I think this is something that we have got to counter by explaining what happens in the horse racing uh, industry and sport and, and infusing the younger audience about it. Because once they've been and enjoyed it and understand all the background, um, a great number of them then become participants and fans for years to come. David, we've just been talking a little bit about the derby and, and having to move it to, to lunchtime because of the football. Um, it'll spark debate about when the derby should be run, how to maximise its popularity. You got a magic wand for us? Well, if I had a magic wand for you, I would um, I'd put it back on a Wednesday and, and ensure that, that became the new bank holiday celebrating um, the life and the legacy of Her Majesty the Queen. That would be the wonderful, uh, a wonderful solution for everybody. Um, but I'm afraid that's a decision that will have to be made a lot higher up the food chain than me. In the meantime, if you want to come racing on any Kipco British Champions Day race date, you can do so for a tenner if you are between 18 and 26. Correct. Yeah, that's the, the number that the team at British Champions Series came up with um, based on the on the number of British Champions Series race days, which is 26. There are 26 races in British Champions Series. And they are all the biggest and the best race days on the flat. Uh, and so this is a, is a quite extraordinarily generous offer. But it's done, you know, it's done because we want to get as big and younger crowd there as we possibly can to ensure that we have we have a vibrant um, racing audience who will be with us for years to come. Okay, Lee Mottishead is still with me. Punches down is well underway. We got the race of the week today between Brave Man's Game, Galapande, Chant, Envoi, Allen, and more. Yesterday, uh, it was great success for Willie Mullins, but not not exclusively so. Lee, um, I, uh, his nephew Emmett, uh, again. I'm not saying he turned base metal into gold, but he's got the Midas touch with this Ferronilli in the novice chase. Yeah, I mean a horse whose profile is is just not what you expect from a horse winning a grade one novice chase at the Cheltenham Festival. He's only just out of bumpers and hurdles and straight into a race like this. I mean, he's got no experience whatsoever. Um, but again, it, it, it underlines that argument that, you know, do people sometimes just hang around too long with chasing prospects in bumpers and over hurdles, particularly when they've got point-to-point -point experience? Because uh, this horse looked like a horse with years of experience behind him. He jumped well, he made all, and he beat a high-class field. Once again, underlining that Emmett Mullins does not train by any sort of rule book, mm -hmm. textbook, guidebook. He does it his own way, and his way works. And another big win for Paul Byrne, the owner who's been so closely associated with this um, this stunning rise of Emmett Mullins. So a big win for him in the in the grade one. It ensures that Willie Mullins won't win every grade one staged at the Punchestown Festival. But it still wasn't a bad day for Willie Mullins. He had the first four <laughs> in the he had the first four in the, the champion chase, the big race, the two mile grade one with an Ergamen. Uh, he had the first three 
Yeah, first, the first two in the Grade One novice hurdle, won by Fasal Vega. He had the first three in the the Valuable Handicap hurdle, won by uh, Bialystok, uh, presumably named from a character in the producers. Uh, and he had the first two in the Valuable uh, Goff's Defender bumper. So not a bad day at the office <laughs> for Willie Mullins. It'll probably get better um, as the week goes on as well. Has to be said that his his big star horse on the card on the day, an Ergamen, was in some well, ways disappointing. In wasn't victory. his wasn't his big star horse on the day Chacun Poursois returning gloriously, albeit in defeat. Wasn't he fabulous? I mean, nobody aside from the fact that we knew he adores Punchestown, nobody could have predicted. I don't think he would bounce back like that. They've been trying all things with him, different trips. Uh, nothing had really seemed to work, but the return to Punchestown sparked him back into life. He ran a fabulous race, an argument. Some of his jumping was appalling. Um, he really jumped badly. There were a couple of times when uh, you would not have been surprised how the jockey party company with the horse. But Paul Tannen rode a superb race, as Willie Mullins commented afterwards. And in the horse's defence, although he was lacklustre, although he, he jumped shoddily, at times, he would have been more than entitled from that final fence onwards to wave the white flag and say, mate, Shaken, this is your track. You love the place. I'm not going to get past you, am I? But he actually fought really hard and overhauled Shaken Persuar in the closing stages. He found a way of winning, which is commented by connections after the race. The best horses do when they're not necessarily at their best. That's what he did. Um, in that sense, uh, it was a a really admirable effort, but he was a long way short of the horse who'd been so imperious when winning the champion chase for the second time. And just turning back to the derby and yesterday's Blue Ribbons trial winner, Lee, Epictetus, is he a, is he a player for this year's derby itself, do you think? Nick, I, I think realistically, whether you stage a race at 1.30 in the afternoon, one thirty in the morning, um, he's he's not going to win the derby. And I don't think he'll even be in the derby. I think he's a smart horse. I think he's a progressive horse. But listening to what John Gosden said after the race, he was pointing towards the derby, but making pretty clear that the pre Jockey Club might be more of an option for him than Epsom. And, and John Gosden, when he tends to earmark something like, like that at quite an early stage... I think it indicates that his thinking is very much going down that route. So although he ran in this race, you might think, well, why run the horse at Epsom if you're not thinking of going for the Derby? I think the timing of this was good on the way to on the way to the Dante. Um, he overcame ground. He almost said he didn't like it. it. Was deep, horrible ground at Epsom yesterday. Really hard work for the horses. The performance of beating Hadrianus and Citador by not big margins at all is extremely ordinary by by derby trial standards but he's almost certainly better than he showed there but i don't think he'll be in the derby because i don't think he'd be running in the derby better derby trial coming up uh sound down on friday the jockey club's loss could be the jockey club's game <laughs> so I'm, I'm here all week that's, that's very good yeah, yeah they'll enjoy that at punches time all right, plenty of talk of derbies on today's show. Now the Derby, the Kentucky Derby. No one's going to move the start time for the Derby, that's for sure. And in conjunction with Qatar Racing, who are becoming quite a force in the United States of America now, and the owners of the Breeders' Cup hero Caravel, we are profiling a Kentucky Derby candidates during the course of the next couple of weeks in the run-up to the race. You heard 
a couple of days ago from Frank Fletcher, the brilliantly charismatic owner of Rocket Can. You heard yesterday from Nihiro Goda about the Japanese contingent, likely to be Derma Sotagake and Continua. And today we're focusing on Mage, the horse that was fourth in the Fountain of Youth, second in the Florida Derby, clawing back the gap on the favourite Forte. He's trained by Gustavo Delgado. He'll be ridden by Javier Castellano. And he is owned, co-owned, by Bloodstock agent Ramiro Restrepo, who told us the early part of this story in the beginning of the year, since when, Ramiro, it's fair to say, things have gone pretty well. Just wind back and remind us how, how you got involved on this on this road to the to the run for the roses. Sure. Um, you know, I do have a role uh, with Basic Tipton, so I'm always at, at their sales. Uh, I was at the sale uh, with Gustavo Delgado Jr. You know, we, we've been working together trying to raise our profiles, uh, both Gustavo's as a trainer and myself as a bloodstock agent. So we've created some racing partnerships over the last few years where We'll go to the sales both in America and in Europe, uh, buy either yearlings or, or breeze of horses and then partner them out to just, you know, um, bring in new, new cl- expose new clients to our services. So we were at the Timonium two-year-old sale, worked the sale pretty pretty hard, and uh, we were down to, to two horses in particular. Um, the good magic ended up being um, Mage himself. Um, he was out of the sequel consignment for Becky Thomas and you know, he had a phenomenal breeze, and uh, back at the at the barn, he just really shown himself as a, uh, I mean, a clone to to his to his sire, Good Magic, and uh, he had such a nice temperament and class, and you know, showed himself so well. We went into the ring to buy him, and you know, we had a two hundred thousand dollar budget, and um, when we got to the two hundred thousand, and we were pretty much out of money at that point, Gustavo cracked me with his whip left-handed a couple times and told me keep on going (laughs) so we just had a split second decision and so we said you know f it we're just gonna (laughs) we're gonna keep going we beat an extra ninety thousand dollars the hammer fell for 290 and uh you know as i was signing the ticket i said well how are we gonna you know (laughs) end up paying for this horse but you know fortunately uh the two amazing partners uh, sam herzberg of sterling racing and Chase uh, Chamberlain and Brand uh, Dockstater of Commonwealth, and they uh, they 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 jumped in. So the four of us got together and and uh, started this magical trip. And here we are in the Derby. So it's amazing how things work out. What's been your involvement in Derby so far, Mermira? Um, no, I, I've been a, I've been most of my life. I've just been a spectator and a fan. And then I was very fortunate uh, when I started, you know, partnering up with Gustavo. Uh, helping helping them raise their Barnes profile, working as a racing manager, racing planner. I was very lucky to be part of his team, uh, not part of the selection of Bodie Express, but just part of the you know the racing manager, racing planner part, and uh, got to be you know riding the tail the you know the the, the, the coattails of, of global racing and and um, top racing, which were the two partners on Bodie Express. So you know I got to have a nice seat uh, for that Derby. And to kind of just experience, you know, that atmosphere from, you know, as part of a team, but, you know, definitely, you know, quite hands-on when it came to, to that horse. So I was a tourist then, and, 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 and now here I am, you know, in a totally different role. But, I mean, um, this is very special, Nick, on many levels. It's, it's, a, it's a dream come true, and, um, you know, no words can really express the feeling. 
Now, let's just get down to brass tacks. You were confident about this horse after he'd broken his maiden, and I thought, well, you've got to live the dream, and then he ran well in the Fountain of Youth. He ran better in the Florida Derby. Uh, six and three-quarter lengths behind Forte over a mile and sixteenths. A length behind him over a mile and an eighth. Now we step up to a mile and a quarter. Is there anything bar the distance that makes you think that you can you can get on terms and, and better him at Churchill Downs? Well, I'm I'm quite confident in our trainer. His biggest success in South America was going a mile and a quarter, mile and a half, and his biggest success in America has been winning at a mile and an eighth. He won the Grade One Clark, and he's been a runner up in uh, three Grade One mile and eighth races. You know, the, 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 his system of training is for these classic distance races. And obviously, like any trainer will tell you, you still need the horse. You know, the horse is, you know, his sire uh, is out of Curlin, who is a classic horse. And Good Magic himself was second in this race. And like you mentioned earlier, his damn sire is a derby winner. And his damn herself uh, was group placed going a mile and an eighth. So um, as far as the Florida Derby, if you look at the gallop out, I know... You don't get trophies for gallop outs, but the horse never quit behind Forte, even when he got past. It's not like Forte galloped out 20 lengths in front of us or, you know, we switched leads and fell to the back. If you look at the gallop out, our horse is still tugging. He's tugging, he's trying, he's fighting and didn't want to pull up. So he's only improved uh, since the Florida Derby. He's had two fabulous works uh, going three quarters and galloping out a mile each time. And he feels great. He's, I know he, he got into Churchill yesterday and uh, hit the track today for the first time. And he, he's loving the climate change. He's feeling spry on his toes. And um, right now it's all systems go. And you had to switch up the jockey situation, Ramiro, because uh, Luis Saez is not available. Just tell us how you're playing this. Louis, um, you know, Louis, Louis is fantastic, of course. And, um, but he has a commitment with the Bluegrass Stakes winner uh, for for Mandy Pope and Todd Pletcher. So he'll be staying with that mount. Uh, we're actually going back to Javier Castellano, who um, rode up in the Fountain of Youth. And we just went with familiarity, not only Javier with the horse, but us, but the trainer, Gustavo, with Javier. They've known each other since they were both in South America. They've won big races together and run in big races, um, won and run in big races together. And there's just that um, that that feeling that in a, in a race of this stature, Javier's had horses like Coast Zapper, Bernardini, Honor Code. Um, he's got the experience and the capability, and he's a Hall of Famer. So we're we feel we're in a great spot with Javi and and uh, and he knows the horse. He he knows what's under the hood now. So um, we're quite comfortable with that decision what do you do when you win oh wow nick i'm sure there'll be a lot of tears (laughs) and a lot of hugs and kisses and uh with family members it would be a a dream come true and then we all jump on a plane back to miami and tear the city apart (laughs) well i for one believe him anyway and mage is a horse you're gonna have to take quite seriously next saturday the 6th of may and more from leading connections of Kentucky Derby hopefuls tomorrow on the podcast and indeed every day in the lead up. Now, as you know, we are teaming up and have teamed up now for quite some time with the Microshare ownership group, My Racehorse, who themselves have linked up with a national stud and its brand new recruit Stradivarius to give people an opportunity to be involved 
in a breeding syndicate. Now, we first featured this at the back end of last year, subsequent to which uh, Blackbird Power has been purchased from the Tattersall's December mare sale for 15,000 guineas, just 15,000 guineas from Watton Manor Stud and has been micro-syndicated. She's from a great family. She's had a pedigree update. And I wanted to know how she was getting on, how Stradivarius was getting on. So I put in a call to the National Studs' Joe Bradley. And this is what he said about the My Race Horse Mare. Hi, Nick. Uh, yeah, she's she's doing really well. Uh, she settled life into life here at the National Stud really well after we purchased her in December. Um, it was a really good purchase, actually, 15,000 guineas. We've had an update since, uh, since with Centrefold winning a few weeks ago at Wolverhampton. So it's great to be able to show owners that side of things, the updates, the excitement. Um, so we're really happy. And now she's in full, which was sort of the, the first big hurdle. How's Stradivarius doing uh, with his with his mares? Obviously, he, he came to stud quite late in life and, and he's had quite a bit of fanfare. He's got sort of celebrity status. How's he getting on? Yeah, he's getting on amazingly well um, in terms of the book that he's covering this year. We're well on track to cover 120 mares, which I suppose would surpass many people's opinion this time last year of what he would cover so we're delighted with that he'll have every chance now to go ahead and, and produce some very good horses in his two-year-old year which of course there's bonuses there for um so he's covered 80 mares to date and um he's still very busy and so he's good and the most the most important thing that he settled into his routine he's happy uh, he's enjoying life uh, in his second career now what do you think it is that breeders are um, drawn to with him? Because obviously there was quite a bit of debate when he went to start as to where he would fit commercially. Yeah, I think it's his physique. Um, you know, we, we, when people come to look at him, they're they're almost surprised he doesn't look like a big stare. He looks more like a sort of a sprint middle distance horse. And I think as he lets down over the next year, um, he'll continue to look even more like that sort of profile. Um, it was his turn of foot as well that he had. That's what we get from breeders. They recognize that. Uh, and they're just really interested by uh, probably one of the best performing sons of See the Stars, who's just an incredible stallion and had an amazing year last year and will have an amazing year this year, no doubt. Um, so I think he's just a very exciting uh, prospect for breeders to be able to use. So Blackbird Power, she's from a, a stakes-winning family. She's in foal to Stradivarius. You've had a pedigree update. Are you surprised by the by, by the amount of a, a, attention she's had and, and the interest that she's had from, from my racehorse members? Uh, look, I'm not, not overly surprised, to be honest. We, we got a very good gauge early on after we purchased her um, that there was a lot of interest. The shares, my racehorse, um, headed up by Kate Hardy, did an amazing job uh, at promoting the product. I think by sort of February time, we sold a thousand shares which really showcases the potential that this um, model has um, to progress within our industry. Um, and when they come here, I mean, they just absolutely love the experience of being able to get up close to these amazing animals, these horses, you know, Blackbird Power will sit or stand for, for 15, 20 minutes, enjoying the intention that they get. Um, and then we showcase the foals that we have here. And then, of course, we see Stradivarius. So um, the feedback we're getting is that it's an amazing experience but wouldn't be able to uh, get otherwise if, it, if these sort of syndicates didn't exist. 
All right, a day later than normal this week, but we are going around the bloodstock world with our friends at Weatherby's, their stallion book and their excellent global stallion app to a, a really fascinating stud farm in Germany today, Gestut Gölsdorf, um, an extraordinary history and more recently best known as the birthplace of See the Moon, as I welcome in Heike Biscoff, much more of See the Moon in, in a few moments, Heike, but but first of all, tell us a little of the, the long and storied history of Gestut Gölsdorf. Yes, Gölsdorf was actually founded 140 years ago. Um, well, this was, uh, he was, um, uh, this, that was founded by Count Redan uh, at Emperor William I's time. This is quite long ago. <laughs> this was um, 1883. So the stud has a huge history and uh, Gerstorf actually is the second oldest thoroughbred farm in, in Germany. Only um, after the great stud Schlenderhahn. And um, well, um, Gerstorf is the home actually of 10 derby winners. And that all started with impulse who was bred um, in, no, he won the derby actually in 1895. So it's a place here with a great history of thoroughbred breeding. And we are very proud of this, of course, <laughs> and very fortunate to, to, to have that, this stud and to get into it after, after the wall came down actually. That's right, because I know that after after the Second World War, Gerlsdorf, uh, it's you're fifty miles north of Berlin, and and so you were behind the the Iron Curtain, and and all the bloodstock w- was dispersed. But then when the when the Berlin Wall came down, your family were able to to revive the stud. Tell me a, a little bit about how that came about. Yes, um, actually, this was after the reunion of Germany and. Uh, it was in 1991, actually, that my father um, got involved. He bought the stud from the Treuhand, which was a company who was in charge um, to sell all the real estate of the former East German state. Uh, but most, most of it, most, mostly 95% of, uh, of, of the GDR, was in state hand, so they had um, they they had the duty to to yeah to sell everything, and so my father got involved just by chance actually, because a friend of him, um, a lawyer in Berlin, he, he read an article in the newspaper, and so um, he got to know that there was an auction on in Hoppegarten to sell some racehorses. So he called my father and asked, "Are you in Hinrich? Are you interested in uh, coming with me? There's an auction, and uh, so we have a nice uh, you know day uh, at at the auction." And um, my father didn't have the chance, he, he didn't have time, but his friend went there. And um, at night, he got, my father got the um, phone call <laughs> and um, his friend Jürgen said, oh, we are now happy owners of three racehorses. <laughs> so, <laughs> so my father, um, it was just, you know, 
a kind of a joke. So he was quite surprised. But anyhow, they they visited the trainer and they saw the horses and they were very impressed and they thought they are lovely individuals and beautiful horses. And so the trainer was, you know, uh, he said, would you be interested to, to see the stud where they were born? And they said, oh, yeah, why not? So, so, so they went to Goldsdorf and saw the farm. And the former manager was very depressed and said, well, most probably we have to kill all the horses because we can't really finance um, uh, the feed anymore. And, and you know, we, um, they refused to sponsor us as a state. And, and, and so my father, he was, you know, he, loves, he loved animals, all kinds dogs, cats, horses. So he instantly said, oh, well, I will rescue that stud. And so he got involved, actually. So. He, he sounds like a, an amazing man, a, an entrepreneur, really a, a man full of, of enterprise and, and drive and love for the animal. When, when he passed away in 2005 and, and you took over the, the stud, what, what were you hoping to achieve? What, what was your aim and ambition? Well, the aim was, of course, to to upgrade the broodmare band. Um, my father was very much involved to renovate uh, the stud and, you know, to to do the basics. And then it was time actually to to improve the broodmare band and uh, to to go on, you know, to to have some horses in training, and uh, yeah. To, yeah, just uh, to figure out what's the best uh, to do and um, to get expertise in, in the breeding and um, in, in every single detail on the farm. Um, so, yeah, I tried hard to, to achieve that and to, you know, to, to carry on with that uh, project of my father. And you've done that incredibly well. And it, it sort of reached glorious fruition in a horse that everyone knows, everyone's heard of, is continuing to to really deliver as a, as a stallion. See the moon. T- tell me a little bit about how how he has changed your, changed your life, really. Absolutely. He is such a huge gift uh, to all of us. And he is such... A horse, you know, a horse of a lifetime. He, he is just the best for us, of course. And, you know, when he won the derby, it was incredibly, it was overwhelming. <laughs> and, you, 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 you know, you can live on this feeling for years. And it's it's just beautiful and wonderful. And it's even better that uh, he is a very good stallion and he produces lovely stock um, and and it's just marvelous. And the great, you know, he, he, he did so well in this derby, uh, winning by 11 lengths and, you know, he got a time form, which is very seldom for, for, for derby winner, for German derby winner of 127 at that time. And this was actually higher rated than the English and Irish Derby winner that year, um, who was Australia in actual fact, who's also doing really good as a as a stallion. So, uh, well, see the moon. 
uh, the dream goes on, I would say. <laughs> we are still, um, yeah, we are, we are still extremely grateful. He's He's set the bar incredibly high for horses from from your stud now. There's no doubt about that. But but this game is all about renewal, hope for the future. You've got the the BBAG um, Big Breeze Up sales coming coming very soon, May 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 the nineteenth. Uh, we're in the thick of Breeze Up season in in Europe. What can can you look forward to to there? How's how, how involved uh, are you going to be this year? Oh uh, well. Um... We we will actually send uh, five horses to the BBAG and and the star I would say is is Mea, who comes from a very traditional family of ours. He's by Caesar Stars, um, and he is a descendant of um, of of a mare actually who won the German Derby in nineteen seventy. Uh, Meernymphe, and this is a very old Goldstoff family. So, uh, and we have uh, quite a few broodmares from that family. And this chap, um, we we had the chance to to buy him out of the full share actually, and he is doing really really good at Markus Klug, and he sings. Uh, the trainer thinks he is one of his best two years old. And uh, he is just a beautiful mover, and uh, and a smashing horse. So that um, I think he will be the star of the sale, actually, by paper and by by his, you know, by 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 his. Uh, I don't know how you say it. Well, well, hope hopefully by his price tag, um, Hacker. <laughs> yeah. That would, uh, you know, that would <laughs> actually pay some bills <laughs> and feed the horses. That, uh, yeah, hopefully. <laughs> the, the world's got to keep turning and you've got to keep breeding horses. Uh, fingers crossed that the next See the Moon is on the way. Thanks so much for talking to me. Thank you so much. It was a pleasure. Thank you. All right, my thanks to Heike. Off to Hong Kong now and J.A. McGrath. Hi, Nick. A big week in Hong Kong. We've got the uh, FWD Champions Day on Sunday at Sha Tin. But in the meantime, we've got a Happy Valley meeting as usual today and nine races there on the city track. But going back to the Champions Day, we've got uh, a big lineup there, a big international lineup, horses from Japan, from Australia, and also from the UK, of course, notably. Uh, Dubai Honor, uh, trained by William Haggis and to be ridden by uh, Tom Marquand going there. And also Flaming Rib, uh, Michael Owen's horse, is going around in the sprint. But we'll have more about that on Friday when I talk to you, Nick. We'll go through that in a bit more detail. Let's go back to Happy Valley today, though. We've got nine races and an interesting card as well. Not the usual lead-up to one of these big international days because there are no international visitors riding at this meeting as uh, you might have seen when they come to the Hong Kong International Race Day in December. They have the Jockeys Challenge on the Wednesday but that's not the case here. But just the same we've got some good old reliables to uh, call on and one of those is Matthew Chadwick who rides uh, a horse called Time Storm in race number three. This is a horse who's been knocking on the door. He's very consistent. He's naught from 11. However, He's a pretty talented maiden and uh, 
he uh, can go in on this occasion. The key is the draw. He's drawn in stall number four, which is the first time he's had a, an advantageous draw in many starts. So race three, number eight, Time Storm, uh, trained by David Hall. And uh, to beat number three, which is uh, Scotch Tycoon, the mount of Vincent Ho. Uh, earlier on the card, I think Zach Purton can go further ahead in his uh, championship quest. Uh, he rides race four, number four, Romantic Lau, one of the best bets of the day, in my opinion. And later on in race nine, keep an eye on number seven, How Deep Is Your Love? It'll be short, but should win. That's uh, Happy Valley today. We'll have more on the Hong Kong beat on Friday. All right, thanks to Jim. Thanks to all my guests today on a busy show. Lee Mottishead is still with me here to the bitter end. And Lee has a tip for me for this afternoon or maybe this evening. Yeah, wonderful day again at Punchestown. Um, Nick, uh, 5.20 is the first of the day's grade ones, the Irish Mirror novice hurdle. Embassy Gardens was one of my long-range choices uh, for the Cheltenham Festival. It was pretty disappointing to go in the Albert Bartlett. But I'm sure he's better than he showed there. I don't think we can guarantee that Gaelic Warrior will thrive over three miles. He might, but Amanda William Williams is also thinking about going for the Supreme Novices with him at the festival. This time he's going up to three miles. I think we can take him on. I'm sure Embassy Gardens is a smart horse. I'm sure he's a lot better than he showed at Cheltenham. And with the excellent Danny Mullins on board at a decent price, 7-8 to 1. I'm taking him in the 520 at Punchestown Embassy Lee, Gardens Lee thanks so much thank you very much for listening that was Wednesday April the 26th we'll see you again tomorrow when I will be in Punchestown and of course we're expecting the white paper see you then bye bye you've been listening to Nick Luck Daily brought to you in association with Fitzdares the Racehorse Owners Association and thoroughbred racing commentary. Mm-hmm.